Welcome back, everybody. So this is the second episode of podcast, our Off the Back podcast. I'm sitting here with a man that many of you may know, Brandon Castle. We've known each other for a long time. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but we wanted to sit down, more or less, I wanted to sit down and talk to everyone. We had a great response with the questions on Instagram that I threw out there. So it was good. So we'll get into it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, don't know Brandon, you'll probably get to know him pretty well by the end of this. So We'll start. So, full name. Brandon Bruce Castle. Bruce, I didn't even know my name was Bruce. No, I see, see? I learned something new. Um, age? 39. I'm getting up there. <laughs> Height? 5'11". Weight? 205. Slim and trim. Years riding? Mm, well, 35, technically. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, years riding, seriously. Uh, about 21 years now. Okay. Uh, what's your current bike? Ooh. Pick which, one. Which one? Yeah. Pick one. <laughs> uh, the bike I spend the most time on is the Santa Cruz Mega Tower. Okay. Uh, favorite place to ride? Oh, loaded <laughs> question. Loaded question. And here uh, goes the next hour. Yeah. <laughs> so currently based on a trip in the fall, I'm going to have to say Thunder Mountain. That's the place I'm yet to go. Um, favorite trail? Hmm. Another loaded question. I think probably all-time dirt merchant. Whistler, yeah? Yeah. Uh, who do you hate to lose to? Oh, wow. I actually did got, I missed this on Adam's, uh, Adam's oh. podcast, uh, but I could have guessed probably a couple of those people. But mm -hmm. uh, if we're going back, I'm going to say uh, a close friend yep. and uh, former downhill racer, Joey Jenkins. Yes, Coach <laughs> Joe. I hope you're watching this. Coach Joe, for sure. That's good. Um, that's awesome. So that kind of gives you guys a bit of uh, overview of Brandon, what he kind of, what he's into. Um, obviously, he's been riding mountain bikes for a long time. We've known each other for about 20 years as well. So, um, but I know his middle name is Bruce. Um, so I'm learning something new today too. Um, so we'll get into that. So let's hop into the questions. Um, one thing I want to know, cause I really don't know for sure is how did you end up in London? So like, tell us a bit of your backstory. Where do you, where'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? And how'd you make your way here? Okay. So grew up in a small town, Eastern Ontario, uh, 401, right between Cornwall and Brockville. Yep. Uh, right on the St. Lawrence River, a uh, small town of about a thousand people. Not many people are going to know this. It's called Airqua. Yep. Um, moved to London in 1998 to go to school. 90, okay. Um, I've been here ever since. Crazy. London kept you. I know. As I said, <laughs> London has just enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so obviously we know each other through mountain biking um, from sorry, way back in the day. What got you, like, when did you start like riding seriously and you know taking it to where it is now um and what got you into it so i bought a mountain bike to get around the city when i moved here for college in 98 like just um, transportation purposes just transportation purposes but obviously mountain bike was the go-to for that yep always had uh dirt bikes and bmx around as a kid yep. uh, nothing serious just you know small time fun um eventually did the shop tour on my mountain bike to you know see what the scene was like when I was here. Uh, I think first stop was uh, first cycle works close to the college. Then I made made my way downtown, two wheels cycle path. I think that was kind of it originally. Okay. And uh, was introduced to the cycling world through the shops. Um, back then it was classic to have a small TV with videos playing uh, in the shop. And uh, I saw a little bit about the free ride movement, North Vancouver. 
uh, a little bit of some DH, which I had no idea existed. Psychopath yeah. um, so had a video role in uh, World Cup and Bromont, Mont Saint Anne, you know, some classic venues. And I just thought that looks pretty cool. So uh, Dave, through Psychopath, it sort of uh, introduced me to the world of free riding downhill mountain biking. Dave McNaught. Dave McNaught. Uh, okay. So um, yeah, he he's kind of like that that first person in the in the sport that I knew that was a true mountain biker. And that evolved for you pretty quickly, right? Because then you ended up like how long after that did you end up working at Psychopath? Uh, very closely. So okay. I was done school in about a year, year and a half. Realized that wasn't the thing for me. Um, wanted to make some money and get a bit of a discount on some parts, so I threw my resume out there to a bunch of spots. Eventually, one busy February day, uh, Ryan from Psychopath called me up and said, "Can you come build some bicycles?" Yeah, and I was like, "Absolutely." When when you want me there, <laughs> I will be there. I will be there. <laughs> um, so that's actually twenty years ago, basically to now. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, so this so is this my, timing is kind of crazy. It is. So this is sort of my twentieth anniversary in the in the bike, bike industry. industry. Um, so I was on a thousand dollar hardtail, like most people back then, you know, 80 mils of elastomer travel, um, and then started to see all these other bikes yeah. and really see that it wasn't Lycra based XC, you know, I was introduced yeah. to trials, I was introduced to street riding, you know, downhill, like there was just so much more to mountain biking than I saw it from I, I originally think for so. sure right like i think a lot of people i know even myself sometimes like you forget that back then you had to wait for videos to come out you had to wait Magazine for magazines yeah. right? it wasn't like it is now where you no. just click on youtube and search for sure those, those videos stuff. were key yeah that's they how took, you kept it took a year two years to produce but yeah that, that's what you waited for to get stoked and wear the vhs tape out watching it uh, to learn 100%. about mountain biking so crazy um, so touching on that, so you've seen the sport evolve over the last 20 years, obviously still have been involved with working and managing a, a shop here in town. What is the next thing, right? Like I know this could, this conversation, like just that question going for a, a long period of time, but like if you had to kind of, you know, seeing where it's come from, knowing what you know that's coming in the industry, what's the next thing? Uh, that's tough. I don't know about the next thing. But mountain biking is evolving and growing again at a rapid rate, like we saw in the late 90s early 2000s before money was kind of pulled out of the industry a lot of people equate that lance armstrong's success in road took away from the mountain biking that was going on at that time frame and ever since about 2008 2010 it's been growing again in the last five years a ton so we're seeing a lot of female riders in the sport lots of kids in the sport so i think that that's really the, the future of it is that we're going to see a broader you know, group of people using the, you know, involved in the sport. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like I think mountain bike, a lot of us who are into it, we always get caught up in the technology aspect of mountain biking and it progressing, but you're, I think you're right. It could not so much hinge on a, a product or a feature, but more so on the the end user. Absolutely. And I've seen that. For sure. So. Like, hopefully we'll see more pump tracks pop up, more trail pop up. Like, inevitably with more users, there's going to be more advocacy for mountain biking. So, yeah, it'll be amazing to see it like hockey rinks and, and golf courses in, in possibly 10 or 15 years from now. That would be super cool. Um, so, kind of, you know, going back to when you started, um, the Ontario downhill racing. Right, so this is something that I know you got very heavily invested in. For sure, in. and I didn't even know it existed <laughs> until I started in the shop. Right, so, you know, it, went, it was strong for, I would say, probably over a decade. It was a really strong race series. Um, what do you think the strength of that series was when it was at its peak? And then what do you think the, I don't want to say undoing, that's not really a fair question, but like, 
what do you think happened that we kind of saw it disappear over the course of a couple of years? So there have been many conversations <laughs> over the over the last six or seven years about this because everyone tries to figure out what happened to the Ontario race scene, you know, because it it did taper right off. It just you like know? disappeared over the course of like a we, couple years. We saw people completely get out of the sport because it wasn't accessible in Ontario anymore. Um, you know, there was. Uh, one person in particular that was a driving force behind the series. And I think, you know, in a lot of cases, that's, you know, a huge factor. Pete Appleton, Pete, shout out. Pete Appleton uh, put in a lot of time making it, making it happen and make it work. You know, he went from not making money to making money to possibly not making money again, you know, in the cycle of that. But he, he grew the sport to be quite big. Um, in the infancy of downhill for me, if I wanted to downhill in Ontario, I had to go to the race series to ride a chairlift. That's true. Um, this is pre Blue Mountain, pre Horseshoe, pre Sir Sam's. Um, so if you wanted to downhill, you either had to drive out of the province or the country or go to a race. So that was the lure for me in a way, being a bit of a competitive person. Yep. Um, the racing was obviously intriguing to me as well. I, I went in 2001 and watched a race. Um, in Ontario, thought that it was pretty cool and I'd want to give that a try. Uh, friends of mine, we went to the World Cup in Mont Saint Anne in 2002. Okay. Um, watched the World Cup, rode Saint Anne, rode Bromont. Conveniently, it was a Horseshoe O Cup on the way home. So, inevitably, I convinced the guys to stop by. That was like uh, like eyes wide open four day trip. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. So, I mean, we, we went to Bromont in uh, 2001 on the recommendation of a good friend, Matt Defoe, yep. um, who went there in the 90s on a hammer race, minimal brakes and suspension, and was losing his mind at how good the trails were. So, when he knew I got a suspension bike, he was like, you got to take <laughs> yeah, this thing yeah. to Bromont. So, that spawned the trip to the World Cup, because obviously we had learned about it and thought that would be pretty cool. We'd go check out in our home country, and the riding was phenomenal. Yep. Um, but trying a race coming out of a full week, in Quebec and Ontario, I think I uh, had a bit of an advantage over <laughs> most of the dudes in my class. Yeah. So back then it was uh, senior sport, senior expert, and, and pro between 19 and 29. I was in my early 20s, and I raced the senior sport class on my on my way home. And it was a two-run format, which most people don't know, yeah, too, unless, yeah, you go, you, unless you go back. You know? uh, it was uh, best of two runs, and I managed to win that race substantially on my first run. And from that point forward... Hooked. You're hooked, yeah, hooked. You're, you're absolutely, yeah. So I know this, but not too many people I think do. Um, so kind of in line with the racing, you raced a winter four cross race, right? <laughs> yeah, so, might, might be the only one that's ever happened around here. Yeah, so four cross for, for those that don't know, it's basically like snowboard across that you see in the Olympics where four people going down a hill, jumps, turns, do that on bikes, which typically happens on dirt for us in the summertime. A, I think it was a Red Bull event. Yeah, a good friend of mine, Ryan Markham, in conjunction with uh, Jose, Joe Mama Cycle, okay, yeah. decided to put on this event at Camp Fortune. So it was a Red Bull Canada event. Yeah. So take that idea of snowboarding on snow and go on bikes. So how did you hear about it? What was your bike setup? And how did you do? Um, so being a good friend of both Jose yep. uh, from the bike industry and Ryan Markham, who was a longtime friend who had the job at Red Bull Canada. Obviously, they reached out to me and thought I would be interested in something like this. Really? Because um, back then, we also had an outdoor four-cross series, that, thanks to Pete Appleton yeah. again. Um, but it was on BMX tracks, which is relatively cool, but we hadn't really had any gravity fed. Um, so when I mentioned it was going to be at Camp Fortune, it was a notorious Nationals yeah. DH venue back in the day, close to my hometown, which is always awesome to head back to the Ottawa Valley. 
Um, so uh, that year was a big year for me because I had been racing as a privateer, obviously, uh, up until that season. Uh, Pete Appleton was the manager of the team along with Jeff Monk. Uh, it was Drop Machine come and sell. That's right. So I kind of signed on with the team for the first time that, uh, that year. Uh, Common Cell Bicycles was the, the title sponsor, I think, for the second year that year. And uh, I had ordered up the Supreme DH bike and the Absolute Four Cross. Oh, so I got a bike and a frame sent in directly from the factory in France, which at that time I thought was the coolest thing to have the hookup directly with, you know, Common Cell Bikes and the rich history of racing that those guys have. Also a huge compliment from Pete to yep. bring me onto this well-established team. Um, so I, I had just built the Absolute Four Cross. Uh, sort of for the winter bike show that would have led up a little bit after that and decided to uh, throw on some Michelin mud tires. So you didn't go studs? You went like, like a deep, like the spike deep mud driver, tire? Yeah, spike tire. It was only about two inches wide back then, right? 26 inch wheels. Um, and we got carted up to the top in the cat. So they shuttled oh, us to cool. the top. They built a box in the front of the cat. It would take about 12 riders at a time to the top. So I raced my hardtail. Interesting. And it was an interesting mix. I can only imagine at that race. It. Everything from downhill bikes to trail bikes to, to jump bikes. Basically. Yeah, I would think you'd so, see a little bit of everything. And how, how'd you do? Um, so it was pretty well for me. So it was uh, it was difficult. As we rode, the snow got deeper and deeper in the berms. They actually had to plywood out the majority of the lips. Really? So they could make an attempt to jumping them because um, they did their best to pack it down. But yep. inevitably, the smaller tires were slicing through. Um, but I qualified in the top like three, I think it was at that at that race, and then in the end, I ended up winning that uh, event. So I actually cool. just threw out part I, of that I, I trophy. I forgot you won that. Yeah, I just threw out part of that trophy like in my January bike room cleanup. <laughs> so what was part of the trophy? So they took an old frame, painted it up with the decals and such, then they froze it in a bucket with cans of Red Bull, so that it was an actual <laughs> frozen cool. trophy to present. So they froze the head tube with cans of Red Bull in there. Yep. Um, and then they actually shot off fireworks on the step down gap that was about fifty feet to the finish line. Uh, for the final of that race, That's which I crazy. thought was pretty cool. That's Not, crazy. You know, that, that whole mix of things doesn't happen very often. So right. It's pretty, pretty cool moment. Yeah, like when Red Bull do, like, do, like do things, they typically do it right. Yeah, right? I, honestly, right? it was like probably it's... one of the first times they supported an event yeah. like that in, in Canada, and largely in part because of Ryan. So. Yeah, that's great. That's super yeah, cool. Yeah, so it's a, it's a unique one to look back on, for sure. For sure. First race with the team, first race on that bike, first race of that kind. It would have been like... January, February? Or was it like yeah, I think it was February. January, February, yeah. It hadn't been freezing. It was cold. I mean, Camp Fortune's not a warm place. No, no, it's not warm like in the summertime. Not on, no, like, no, it was, it was a cold day, especially to make my now wife stand True. out. And stand out in all, all day and support me. <laughs> we'll get into all, like, the wife things later. Um, so, what's your favorite racetrack of all time? Mm. You've ridden a ton of places, raced more than more places than most people can name. Yeah, I was thinking about this because I... Uh, you know, I figured this would come up because it's a popular one. And I, I don't even know if I could name a specific track. Okay. But um, some of my favorite tracks are going to be uh, Nationals track at Mont St. Anne. Um, early days for me, like 2005-ish. Because, yeah. um, I mean, that terrain is unlike anything else. Uh, I was a big fan of the U.S. Open track uh, at Diablo Freeride Park. Now yeah, Mountain Creek Bike Park. Uh, but for me, I'm going to actually say any DH track at Platicum Mountain. 
uh, I've always had good success there. I love the terrain there. It's unlike anywhere else you can you can go. Yep. If you haven't been there, you need to try and go. Yeah, for those um, of you, sorry to interrupt you, for those of you that haven't heard that name before, Platykill, look up Roxbury, New York. It's literally in the middle of nowhere in New York <laughs> State. Like, it's pretty eclectic, you know, area. Um, but look it up. It Like, it's mountain biking. Like, you're right. Like, you can't duplicate it. No, no, and every like every track they run there is unique, yeah, and, and equally as difficult and fun and technical. Um, so yeah, I, I just say really anything that Platy would put on. It's a shame we're not racing there as yeah. much these days, um, but it's it's like the classic race spot for me. Cool. Um, what's your biggest accomplishment racing? Results mm. wise. Um, I mean, on paper, the best result's going to be a U.S. Open result. Okay. Um, they used to have 150 to 200 people in the Open slash Pro yeah. class, um, which is big. That was like the size of World Cup Pro fields then. And, and like a, that top 10 was a World it Cup was, Pro field back yeah, then, right? Like those guys that. were some heavy Absolutely. quick guys. Absolutely. So, but they only took 60 for the final or it was 80 in the final yep. uh, at a World Cup back then. And uh, I tried several times to make that cut um, and got very close, but uh, I made it in. I can't remember exactly what year it was, maybe 2007, 2008. Uh, made it into the final, like just squeaked in on like 57, 58th spot. But then managed to stick my time in finals and move up into the top 40 because so many people went checkers or wreckers yeah. in finals. And I was fairly consistent in my, my riding. So I knew if I pushed it, I'd probably end up like them. And, and arguably, maybe I should have because, <laughs> you, you know, you only have so many opportunities to really put yourself on the line. Yeah. But I chose to kind of stay within, you know, stay within that 99 percentile and, and manage to slide into the top 40, which is a big result That's for huge. me. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, at a big venue. Cool. And so, so that's like result-wise, that's, you know, the biggest. What's like, what's one race result where you look back, you're like, it might, I might not have been in the top 10, I might not have been a high, you know, ranking, but I overcame so much over the course of a weekend or over the course of like a week that that result means a lot. That's a tough one. And that's off the top of my head. So he's going to probably take a minute to think about it. Yeah, that's tough. Um, I mean, in racing, you overcome. Yeah. So much in general. Um, damn. What would I say? Ah, a lot of people get stumped with these these types of questions. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm okay, we'll come back to that. Yeah. We'll revisit that. Yeah. There's a lot of questions, so we'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, accomplishments are great. As in racing, failures happen. Shit goes wrong. What's one thing that you've been like, you know what, if like that just would have gone right? Like, so I would say, what is like the biggest disappointment like on racing? Like, what's the biggest failure you can feel like you've had? I don't know. There's been a couple times. I think when you crash and you finish the race, you feel like you're out of the race. Yeah. But then your time reflects that you're still very, very close. Like the best recent example I could give of that was U.S. Open, which yep. you were there with me. Uh, the downhill track was amazing, but the monsoon rain that we got the, the night before and the day of made it just ridiculous conditions to race in. Um, I had five crashes, and by the third one, I almost pulled over and drank a beer. <laughs> but I was like, you need to continue on and finish this. Yeah. You started it. 
And I got down to the bottom and sat in the hot seat for like 20 riders. I wanted to get bumped out by a handful at the end. I think to crash five times and be within grasp of uh, winning the OG crash at the yeah. US Open is probably the most recent example of that. Yeah. You know, like, don't give up. Because, Just keep going. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, ne you never know. Like Everybody could have five crashes in the race. And when you're racing the clock, it... I remember too, like that race, waking up in the morning and just seeing how mud, like muddy everything was, and like he would walk through the parking lot and people, hey, you're getting ready for your race? No, I quit. Like <laughs> yeah. there was a, there was a ton of people that just were like, no, we're good, and like they had hundreds of dollars invested in going to this race already, Absolutely. and it was like, no, we're out. So I mean, the fact they even got the gate, like sure. huge kudos for that. And then I mean, like I said, five crashes and one stop for a beer, but like I said, <laughs> never give up. No, sure. Um, sure. So we've been going to races for a long time together. I am a small cog in the wheel of what has really evolved, it, you know, started, I think 10 years, 12 years ago maybe now, yeah. as the Adrenaline Racer team. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess for, you know, for me, questions that really never got answered, but just kind of knowing for you as long as I have, um, why did you start it? Like you said, you can't, you were on a established team, yeah, I was on one of draw machine come on to all, like, you know, they were winning national races, doing very, very well as a team. So why did you kind of branch out away from that and start your own deal? So I love being a part of that, but I think part of learning and being involved with that team that year, um, I learned a lot about, more about the sport, more about the inner workings of team, sponsorship, a lot of the things I didn't really know before. Um, I was definitely inspired by uh, a couple of people. I mean, one everyone knows, Steve Pete, right? He, uh, for most people that don't know, had some troubles in the early 2000s leaving GT and sponsorship yeah. and started a company, Royal Racing, uh, to help boost his sponsorship and appeal, you know? So that was definitely some motivation for it. Also, uh, Drew Potler, yeah, oh, okay. very popular Ontario rider that now lives uh, at West and a great athlete himself, had founded Primary Racing, him, yeah. Chris Cousineau out of Toronto, um, and I, I wanted to have something like that of, of my own, you know, uh, always coached team sports growing up, uh, so I had that, you know, that interest in helping people progress, but the main reason was because I struggled to learn everything on my own yeah. to get to an elite level and thought I could help other people shave a lot of that learning out. Um, and then also having the store, it was a great tool to use for marketing sure. business, marketing myself, yep. um, and then just doing something different. All the teams back then were based around either pro, elite, or junior. And my idea was to try and have some representation in every age category, along with fostering youth. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really kind of the motivation uh, behind it. and went to my still boss yeah. uh, with this crazy idea that we should start a mountain bike team and uh, she said yes. So I actually kind of got it going while I was on Drop Machine with a couple athletes and then it evolved to me and us joining with Giant Bicycles and it's, yeah. It's been crazy, years, yeah. It's in the making. It's so. evolved like crazy and like you said, like, you know, Steve P, you know, a lot of people know like Josh Bryceland's, you know, he's had a yeah. few guys come yeah. from like that race yeah. team program. And I mean, you've ex experienced that similar feeling, right? Like seeing guys like Brad Zadrilic, Adam Robbins come through that program, for sure. right? From the time they're 11 and 12 years old. And, you know, now they, you know, they were pro athletes, you know, yeah, as their team. It exceeded really well, yeah. Um, so you, you've seen it evolve and like change and more for the last 12 years. Where do you think it keeps going in like the next three to five? Well, it's been tough. I mean, with the lack of series, yep. you know. Uh, Pete unfortunately moved on and went to uh, work for Pac in Sweden, 
and do uh, some other things, and uh, no one else really stepped in long term yep. with the series. So us losing the series, it's tough to foster young athletes along because we went from saying, "Hey, drive a couple hours to try some racing," and I can coach it to, "Hey, let's drive nine hours away." Um, so, and I, I think the opening of bike parks is also challenged racing and racers, young racers as well, because it's a lot more appealing to just go ride your lift, ride the lift with your buddies, do some riding in a non-competitive environment. Um, so there, there hasn't been that many kids to in the sport to kind of bring on board and foster along. We lost a lot of our juniors to work, college, girls, you know, all, all that, all those things. Over yeah, because turn sixteen, yeah, bikes go away, cars and girls. Um, but we had a really good run. I think we're at yeah. like fifteen people that were either expert level or junior level racers that turned elite uh, or pro at some point in time. So it's a pretty amazing run. Um, we have a junior on the team yeah. now, uh, a little bit different than when we were putting four to five kids on O-Cup podiums back in the day, yeah. but uh, thankfully through my dual solemn series, we found a young young kid from north of the city that's quite into into it, got his uh, feet wet last year, yeah. um, but I would love for there to be more. That being said, now that I'm a dad and I have more on the go, I don't have as much of me to give on that side of things, sure. so less is kind of more for me yeah. right now. So. I think for me, like we're kind of in like we, like it wasn't its heyday, you know, five, five, six years ago. It was crazy. The way I see it happening, you touched on it. You're a father now. You and Derek have those next generation of rippers coming up, yeah, right? Yeah, so we have an interesting. The yeah. BMX classes in Ontario could be absolutely heavy for a number of years sure. to come with with your kids and his kids racing it. So maybe that's the next evolution. Yeah, and like I mean, that. thankfully, you know, George Almer, who's a friend yeah. of ours, that runs the Eastern States Cup. It's partnered with the Cliff Kids, and we've yep. got free enduro racing That's cool. for kids that are young, too. So I know once I think our kids and other kids develop some more skills, it'll be amazing to take them out and introduce them to the sport at a low cost in an amazing environment um, where either we can go with them or other parents can guide them along and, and do some racing. So, yeah, we maybe just be a bit longer cycle yeah, right? than, than before. Because so. it used to be like every two or three years, there'd be kind of like that next yeah. cycle of juniors coming sure. into the program and then, you know, moving to a lead. And then like when those guys are moving out, there's, there was another group coming in behind them. Absolutely. And you, yeah, it maybe just a little bit longer of, of a cycle, which is crazy. Um, so started the race team. And at the same time you're managing this race team, you also own a skate park. An indoor skate park. Yeah, <laughs> You're a sucker. sucker. <laughs> um, so, you know, tell us a bit about that, where that came from, and just why, like, you had all this on the go. You're managing a store. You're running a race team. You're racing yourself. You're training. And then you're like, yeah, I'll open up a skate park. Like, why? So... I always wanted to have my own business, so it's it's been amazing working with uh, Sherry at, at Two Wheels, and I, I sort of felt like I had a shop within a shop, but I always kind of wanted to have my own baby. I come from a family of business owners in sporting good retail, so I kind of felt like, you know, the writing was on the wall my whole life. Yep. Uh, moved to London and thankfully got involved with these guys, but I kind of wanted to still have my own, my own shop for the longest time, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, the, we have tons of product out there. We don't always have a place to use it. Um, there was this facility that we were going to a little bit in St. Thomas, um, and then unfortunately they had to sell the business. And I thought maybe this is an opportunity sure. for me to for me to have my own place, have a place to ride and train a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, provide the the community with with a place still because there were lots of people frequenting there, and it would also help foster business along at my at my day yep. job here at the shop. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we took a huge chance, 
you know, a lot of places like that don't last a year. Thankfully, yeah. it, it had, you know, years of business behind it. Um, but who knew that the growth of the sport, more facilities were going to pop up in that, that same time frame. So it was difficult. Um, but uh, probably the most positive thing from it was I basically got a business degree from yeah, actually yeah, yeah, operating a business, yeah. you know, um, and being involved in every aspect of the business. It was a big, uh, big learning curve and it, and it grew a lot of business here. Um, you know, we had big BMX business. We had a big dirt jump bike business. Um, we had people traveling in from eight hours away. That's crazy. Um, I mean, when I would host a, a mountain bike park event, which was quite big back then and obviously almost doesn't exist now, yeah. um, we'd have the Doberman team come down from the entire weekend and sleep in the foam pit. And they're coming from like Montreal, aren't they? Montreal, yeah, yeah, right? That's crazy. Um, so it was pretty unique. So when I took over, we had some big contests. Um, I think it was 85 people at my first BMX contest. We thought it was going to run six hours. It ran 12 and a half hours. It was, it was insane. It was the coolest thing yeah. ever to host an event like that um, and watch the progression go down and, and just the crowds. And uh, it was, yeah, the whole thing was a, a very amazing experience. So. And it was cool. And just like the race team, like the talent that came through that place and came out of that place, like absolutely. I, you know, I'm trying to stuff the top of my head now. Like I know Andrew Bigelow, who was yep. still killing it. For sure, I Matt, mean, Matt McDuff, yeah, Braden Barrett, Hay, Logan Pete, like Brett Reader, yeah, uh, Mike Gray, who rides for Harrow BMX. Like it's it's amazing to see when there's a facility like that. And these youth grow up with that environment. What can what can happen? Yeah, you know, we went from a few riders in Ontario as professionals to like a whole group of them. They're getting paid to ride it's, ride it's still, bikes yeah, full right? time, and some of them still continue on with their contracts and are are riding pro. So. I, yeah, it, it, uh, I find it quite rewarding to be involved in somebody's progression and then see them do amazing. Like, I, I can feel the emotion, yeah. you know, in that, and I think that, that's pretty special, so. That's so cool. Um, so last question kind of on the racing side aspect, because we got a ton to get to. For the most part, you've managed to stay pretty healthy racing. I, as someone who's been through multiple surgeries because of mountain biking, um, I have, it, I'm astounded by how you've managed to stay as, as healthy as you have for as long as you have. It's starting to catch up a little bit with you now, <laughs> um, but how, how have you managed to really not, you know, to race at a high level, win high level races, but not get hurt. Like obviously you, you don't try and crash, but as you know, crashing is part of going fast. Like you have to learn how to do that. Like how have you managed to stay healthy this whole time? I mean, I think Wade Simmons said it best. Yeah. A long time ago that you need to be a professional at crashing before you can be a true professional rider. Um, so there's a lot to that for sure. Um, but it all comes down to calculated risk. Like. There are so many people that go out there and it's checkers or wreckers. They're either going to win or they're going to lose. You know, they spend so much time injured. For me, if I was going to invest all this time and money in racing, I needed to get from race to race to race to get better. Because yeah. being from Ontario, I didn't have the time. Yeah, whistle's or, not in your backyard. Or, yeah, or the terrain to really ride between venues. I worked six days a week at the bike shop, five days a week at the bar, so that I could pay to race as a pro. So I was always trying to make the most of every trip and every venue, and it was all about that calculated risk. Yeah. I needed to, every risk, big risk I took, 
I would watch as much as I could. I would, you know, run up to things as many times as I needed to be comfortable with it to do it. And I think some of it's luck, without a doubt. Uh, but most of it is is taking calculated risk, you know, and not not yeah. I mean, I took a lot of risks. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But um, I th I think some of it comes down to natural athletic ability and in, in, in yeah. a certain capacity too. So I think uh, between being smart, being a little bit of lucky, and being pretty athletic, I was lucky for a long time. But like you said you know, it's catching up with me now. Yeah, like, on a sidetrack. So you're now, like, do you want to fill people in on kind of what's going on with your shoulder? <laughs> so since I quit racing as a pro, yeah. I've had all these issues with soft tissue from not huge crashes, but from what you would consider to be a pretty normal crash. And this past fall, I had a bad crash racing dual slalom down in Maryland, which some of you know. And I just recently found out that my rotator cuff is torn 95% of the way through. I have a tear in my bicep. I have a little bit of arthritis in my uh, AC joint, which I've separated five times over the years. Um, and there's a little bit of a labral tear as well. So um, I'm, I'm due for some work. Um, so and, what, and, what are you doing, and what are you doing next weekend? Uh, <laughs> under doctor's <laughs> orders. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing? No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've been training pretty hard since yeah. I got hurt uh, indoors for this uh, North American Continental Enduro at Windrock. You hear that? You're going racing. With we're going to a really gnarly place. <laughs> uh, but 5% uh, of a rotator cuff, he's going to go mountain bike racing. Um, that's... I'm a sucker for, shot, yeah. sucker for punishment, but yeah, we're going racing next weekend. So it's we're going to take fun. things month by month <laughs> from there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to hide the fact if I have a crash, it, I could be out for a couple months before I even think about pedaling again. But so. I think like, I kind of all go, like goes back to what you said about like calculated risks. Like knowing Definitely. that you have that shoulder injury, for, ex right? for example, we went away a couple weeks ago, yeah. 28 and a half thousand feet of downhill. Maybe did a couple of suicide no-handers. Shoulder felt pretty good. Yeah. You know, I go down in a simple crash. It could be polar opposite. But like you said, though, you, like those calculated risks that you take and like your experience, I, I think, is really what's allowing you to continue to, to do this. Because if someone wasn't experienced or wasn't as talented, you know, any corner could be their sure. last corner um, with an injury like you have. But I think just like that ability for you to retrail and understand it and know what can and can't happen sure. with that shoulder. I've got to be a lot smarter now than I was yeah. last summer, for sure. Which is, you know, again, that goes back to managing. For sure, and experience, yeah. you know. All right, so that pretty well wraps up kind of a good portion of the cycling, racing side of things. We'll get back into it later as we get some of the Instagram questions that came through. Um, but for now, we're going to move on into questions that I think a lot of people want to know, but either are too shy or really aren't sure how to ask the right questions, but... I have no long enough, I'll ask you. Um, so you've worked in the bike industry for, what say, 2004? No, 20 years this year. Yeah, yeah that's right, year. so 20 years. So you've seen it evolve and change. What's the biggest thing you've seen? Like, is it technology, is it rider, is it terrain? Like, what's been like the biggest thing you've just been like? I mean, yeah, really everything. I mean, obviously yeah. in the last six years, we've seen a huge jump. Uh, in technology, especially yep. in the trail bike segment, obviously. Um, thankfully, enduro racing in, in Europe spilled over into North America, and that has created a lot of light, durable product. Yeah. Um, so as you know, and many know, we spend way more time descending on trail bikes than we do on downhill bikes these days, which yeah. I never would have predicted 10 years ago, even. Um, other side of things, obviously bike parks. Uh, we have a lot yeah. more places to ride, just on the East Coast alone. 
Blue Mountains invested money, Killington invested money, Thunders invested money, you know, we've got Windrock Bike Park, Bailey Bike Park in the southeast. Um, so I think that those are the two biggest things, obviously, in the last 10 years, is that we've got a lot more places to ride, yeah. we've got a lot better equipment to ride, um, and a lot more people are riding. Yeah, and it's kind of, you think that's going to continue? Like, like you said, like the bikes are becoming better and better and more capable all the time. So you aren't having to own three, four different bikes to you know do different things. You can kind of all do it on one bike for the most part. Absolutely. Like we both race dual slalom on our enduro bikes, but that we take downhilling all winter. Like it's kind of crazy what you can do on for the bikes sure. now. For sure. Um, like, do you think the bikes and how capable they are are going to like? lead to more places opening up for access? Well, for example, like we, we've tossed around the idea that we think, uh, you know, as much as I hate this term right now, because it's used a lot, uh, an e-bike oriented uh, bike park where you're yeah. essentially self-shuttling, where you don't have the cost of trucks or trailers or a lift or a gondola to get in some type of descending locally. So I, I think that, yeah, maybe there is a possibility where we're going to see other places open up and cater to more skill-oriented riding than fitness in Ontario, which I'd love to see. Yeah. On the e-bike question, <laughs> are they going to take over mountain biking or are they just going to become a part of cycling, like mountain biking, road, dirt jumping? Like, Where do you see that kind of e-bike Yeah, I think in? that's probably the best way to, to fr frame it is that it's going to become almost a different discipline within, yeah. you know, cycling. Um, there are some pretty heavy numbers being tossed around right now as far as the dollar amount that uh, companies are selling worldwide. Uh, we're starting to see it a little bit more here in, in Ontario, obviously, but um, there is already someone trying to form an e-bike race series here in Ontario that, yeah. for next summer. And I think that we're a little premature on that because we don't have a lot of consumers with the product. Hopefully the price of the product's gonna come down with a, a broader range of consumers. Um, but everyone comes back with a guilty pleasure on their yeah. face after they've tried one of these things. So whether they're apprehensive going into it or excited about going into it, everyone kind of comes back with the same reaction. Oh, it's not what I thought it was. It's a lot of fun. You know, and they start to inquire. Anybody that's rented uh, while they've been traveling is now coming and inquiring about purchasing. So it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways it fits in that we didn't see originally. Do you think for guys, like, do you think it's going to be guys like us who have ridden pedal bikes for years that make the shift over to, or do you think it's just, it's gonna open up more consumers to cycling? Both, both. Okay. So I had a good conversation with a former employee here today about uh, some riding on Vancouver Island. Um, and I learned a lot at Masters Worlds this summer about the guys in North Vancouver, and you'd be blown away at the amount of people that are using pedal assist bikes for laps after work or on weekends because they're getting three times the amount of laps in um, than they were on their pedal bike. So it's, it's not super age specific, um, but then of course the aging mountain biker that likes to climb and explore on the island is, is definitely the main, main demographic. I guess so. that in, like, like, you know, like you said, with the technology getting better and better, the batteries getting smaller, bikes getting lighter, like, you're starting